freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Salk. Oh, yes, here we go. It is a formal Friday. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. The Seattle Sports application, of course, and all of the podcast platforms. Maybe I could name a few of them today. And ode to formality, Spotify, Apple, Google, and others that I don't know about. Those are really the only three I know about. What else is there? Stitcher? Is that a podcast platform? I don't know what that is. I heard of it, but I don't really know what it is. So maybe you find us there. I don't know. I feel like I've just kind of gone along with it, but like, what else does Formal Friday entail? Just that. I don't really know. Okay. Really, it's just that, right? right? I mean, it's that. Sometimes and then, I feel underdressed. Right. No, we we all are. I would say. <laughs> I mean, but that's just sort of Seattle. Like, I'm kind of wearing a, a quarter zip today. That's Seattle fancy, as far as I can tell. I have to say, you go to like a really nice restaurant here, and the servers are wearing like you know fleeces. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I've lived. In four cities. I've lived in Boston, I've lived in L.A., I've lived here, and I've lived in D.C. The comparison is not close in terms of how people dress. Yeah, People just don't give a you-know-what at all here. They're like, well, you know what? That's all fine and good, but it's raining, so I'm just going to wear my Columbia raincoat. Sorry. Yeah. Practicality uh, over everything here in Seattle. Comfort and practicality. Anyway, uh, nice to see the Kraken get back. I thought I'd start with the Kraken, even though it's a big, you know, it's big time baseball right now. And and we talked to Jerry Depoto yesterday. We talked to Robbie Ray yesterday. And we're going to talk a lot of baseball again over the course of the morning. Um, but I I was I would I needed to see the Kraken kind of bounce back I think last they, night. They commanded that you start with them. I, they did, right? They yeah. deserved it. But but with what they did, because it was a long road trip, it's not just that they went 1-3-1. and one, It's that they didn't play very well, right? I mean, even even the, the wins were not spectacular. I mean, they beat Philly, but I didn't think they dominated that game. They kind of let them back in late. Um, they didn't really – there were no games where it's like, oh, they outplayed them but lost. Like, no, they just got outplayed, out-hit, out-hustled, out-offensed, out-defensed. You name it. It's sort of how it looked on the trip. And then yesterday, they just came out with a bee in their bonnet. They looked really good right from the start. Um, and I just – we'll talk about them today throughout Need to Know, so you'll hear about them throughout the morning. But that was the first game that Yanni Gord has truly – been the best player on the ice. And, you know, I kind of go back a little over a year to, to to when they first did the expansion draft, and Gord was the most obvious pick they made. He had been on a championship teams, right, with Tampa. He had been a third-line center but was such an important part of their team, and you knew he was going to kind of rise up into more here and leadership, et cetera. Thought maybe there'd be a little bit more scoring potential for him coming out of Tampa and kind of having a little bit more of that role. And, you know, he started off hurt, which everyone knew was going to be the case. And I thought last year he was good. He wasn't bad. He wasn't a disappointment. But I don't think that he was everything that he was sort of cracked up to be in terms of where his growth was going to go. And this year he's been very good, honestly. He's been better than he was last year. And that line, once they put it together with him and Bjorkstrand and Tolvanen, has has really been spectacular. Offense, defense, I mean, they kind of do it all, which is great. Last night was the best single game I've seen any Kraken player play since the team began. 
Yanni Gord was unfreaking believable last night. He was amazing. He did everything. He scored twice. He had an assist. And on two of the other three goals, one of them was a two-on-one with McCann driving the net, and he just was the other guy crashing. So McCann, McCann has the puck. Here, you know what? I don't even need to describe it to you. I could, <laughs> Well, I have it here somewhere. But uh, he, he McCann's uh, driving on a two-on-one. He's the other man on the two-on-one, goes right to the net. McCann puts it in. And then on the fifth goal, fourth goal, I don't know, whatever well, it was. such a good start. It's demoralizing to let the other team score shorthanded right off the bat. Right. Yeah. Totally I think agree. It just set the tone. My favorite goal of was the Schultz goal though, which was a shot from the point, but Yanni Gord, if you watch the replay of it and seriously, it's worth your time. Go back and watch the replay. He He's just shadowing where the puck is and standing in the goaltender's way. He's just shadowing the, the, the play and wherever the play moves, cause they're on the power play. He's just in the way. It's tremendous. It's exactly what you want the guy in front of the net to do. He totally screens the goaltender. And instead of a, you know, fairly harmless shot from the point, getting caught by the goalie, goalie can't see it, goes right by him, goal for the Kraken. He he really, he was everything you would want him to be last night. It's too bad he didn't end up coming up with a hat trick because that would have been a nice kind of finale for his night. But in general, that second goal was a beaut. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, just <laughs> rips it from the point. Yeah, I mean, that one was was amazing. Out in front, Gord, what a bounce! Hey, hey, what do you say? Yanni Gord unleashes a rocket, and the Kraken are up by five. Yeah, they were at that point. I think that made it six to one or five nothing. They end up winning six to two. So, um, good. It's important to see that they're capable of this. And if I'm if I'm a player on the Kraken, I'm trying to make a push to convince my general manager to invest in this season, not just the future. That, to me, is my goal if I play for the Kraken right now today. Got a couple weeks here before the trade deadline, and my goal is to get Ron Francis to invest. Right, Jeff Baker wrote a really good article on this uh, earlier this week, saying, look, there's a bunch of different players out there that the Kraken can go get. There's a couple of forwards, scoring forwards. There's a couple of defensemen, even a a pretty good scoring defenseman. There are options there that can help them. But they're going to cost, you know, part of your future, whether it's draft picks or young players that that are currently not with your team, right? Well, if I'm the Kraken, I'm looking at this team over the last few weeks and going, do I really want to invest my future into a team that's what? probably going to have a first round playoff loss, maybe, maybe win one series and then get bounced. No, I don't want to invest too much in that. But if you can show here over the course of the next three weeks that you can be the team that is closer to who you were when you were dominating on that road trip a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of months ago compared to the team that just got beaten up badly on a road trip. Well, if I'm Ron Francis, I got to think again. Yeah, the future is important, but so is the present. And if this team is showing me, dictating to me, not just that we lead the show with them at 6 o'clock this morning on a formal Friday, but that they are worth investing in, well, that is, uh, that's awfully important as well. They have shown a lot more chemistry this year, and we've talked about how important the depth is. Like, who would you be willing to give up? Uh, Wenberg, um, I mean, from, from the current group. Yeah. I mean, that's probably, if you're, if you can add something up the middle, 
that's probably where I'm going because you're not obviously giving up on Beneers and you're not giving up on Yanni Gord. I mean, maybe Wenberg slots down into the fourth line and Geeky ends up becoming more of a of a winger. But I don't know. I mean, if you have the opportunity to add a big time score, you take it. Um, certainly you have room to continue to upgrade defensively, right? I mean, you're you're playing big minutes still for Carson Soucy and for Will Borgen, who are both young players, and and Borgen especially, I think, has been tremendous. But, you know, you've got room if you want to add in another player there to to try to help yourself out. So um, you're right. It's not like last year where you're like, man, half these guys got to go. Yeah. Right. I mean, what you're getting right now, you have you have good NHL players who can't crack the lineup. Right. I mean, Daniel Sprong's been been a scratch the last couple nights healthy. He's a good player. You just traded for that kid. Uh, what's his name? Jacob Megna. Out of San Jose, who was playing first line or first defensive pairing minutes for them, he can't crack the lineup because everybody else is playing too well. You don't, you can't put him in there. So you're right. Their depth is, it's such a strength, but you can't let it limit you, if you from have getting a better. Big move yeah, yeah, if you have an opportunity to get better, you've got to go take that and, and see if you can improve. By the way, I love John Hayden's game again last night. Every time that kid plays, I love it. So look. Are the Kraken going to win the Stanley Cup this year? I don't know. I'm certainly not going to put any money on that. But similar to what the Mariners did. Right. Well, they probably are this year. Similar to what the Mariners (laughs) did this past year where they made Jerry DePoto go get Luis Castillo by the way they played and, and put themselves in position for him to go make the team better like that. The Kraken have an opportunity now to do exactly the same thing. Go continue to play the way you did last night against some really good competition here over the next couple of weeks, as Brock pointed out yesterday. And if you can do that, well, then your GM has to add. And then you can continue to make yourself better over the course of the rest of this season. So cool game last night for the Kraken. All right. Coming up over the course of the morning, John Schneider speaks for the first time on the John Schneider show. Jerry DePoto speaks yesterday on the Jerry DePoto show. It was decision maker day and gives us a huge window into what both teams are up to right now. You'll hear from both after need to know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, first day of Mariner workouts are in the books. What did we learn? Well, Robbie Ray's been working on another new pitch, which he was uncomfortable revealing, but then Jerry DePoto told us was just a split-finger fastball. Apparently, Logan Gilbert is doing the same, and indeed, Pete Woodworth, pitching coach, on with uh, Bump and Stacy yesterday, said they're not alone. I think every single one of them will have a new weapon this year. A handful of those guys got off the mound today. Yeah, Robbie's got one. Kirby's got one. Gilbert's got one. Flexen's got one. Luis Castillo's really good. I don't think he needs one. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. He's already got enough pitches, and he can just keep throwing them, and I think everyone will be happy. I love the stories of new pitches. That's great. Much more fun than who's in the best shape, but... Sounds like Marco Gonzalez may be that guy as well. All reports are that he looks like he's remade his body. And I got kind of a sneaky feeling about Marco that he has a little bit of a bounce back here. He's only 31. He's the same age as Robbie Ray. He's not a power pitcher. And I think he feels so competitive after what happened at the end of last year, being left off the playoff roster. Not that he's mad at the team about it. I think he understands but that he was is going to be out to prove it to a lot of people that he's still got a little something left. In fact, this whole rotation really is special. Jerry DePoto loves it. Well, I mean, the variety is nice to have, you know, but, you know, that being said, there's it's it's nice to have when they're all good at it. <laughs> and, and I think they, you know, they all they're, they're all very good at what they do. And and I think that, you know, it's 
having something different, a different flavor, a different look with each day. And, you know, if you're playing those three or four game series, you know, it's why we've always said it's very hard to win four game series. Very true. And now uh, as diverse as that pitching staff already is, they're all adding new pitches. So it should be a whole new experience this season. Here's the second thing you need to know. You'll hear more from DePoto coming up here in about 15 minutes. Uh, as for John Schneider and the Seahawks, it's negotiating season as he prepares for an offseason of free agency, drafts, trades, etc. But all that, of course, starts with the quarterback spot. He gave an update to Wyman and Bob yesterday. This isn't like, you know, because we you can't sign people until... Uh, you know, free agency doesn't start until what middle of March. So you, yeah. you know, there's a huge period here where we have time to, you know, work through things. And where are we with Gino? Yeah, uh, you know, good talk so far. Yeah. Um, we're 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 in it. We're just trying to you know figure out what's best. How do you feel about that? It feels a little circumspect. I don't feel like I learned a lot. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's on purpose, right? I would think so. Although at times I think he's sounded more comfortable. But we're in it. I don't know what we're in it means. We're having conversations. We're in the negotiation process. We think that we have the best shot to sign him. Yeah, it could mean a lot of different things. But also, he doesn't really owe us that kind of an answer right now. Uh, He did mention, just news-wise, that assistant receivers coach Brad Idzik is going to be leaving with Dave Canales to go off to Tampa again. Is he going to take Geno Smith with him as well? I don't know. Brock sure seemed to think more of it even than I did yesterday. Brock thinks that the Bucks make a legitimate play to try to bring in Geno Smith. Certainly, they've got a salary cap issue. That would be a problem. And, you know, the Seahawks, I'm sure, will will attempt to keep him here. And that's just one team. There may be more. But relationships do tend to give you a pretty good roadmap to follow in the NFL. And that relationship between Geno Smith and Dave Canales, pretty strong. Here's the third thing you need to know. Oh, it was nice to see the Kraken get themselves back in business yesterday and dominate, completely dominate an opponent. That's what they did. Played a complete game against Philly, and they come away 6-2 winners. Wenberg. Schultz. Wenberg again. Draws the attention of Scott Lawton. Tolvanen. Schultz. They score. The old pepper pot getting it done. He loves that nickname, uses it whenever possible. But his game yesterday was incredible. Best best game I've seen Yanni Gord play since he arrived in Seattle. Scored twice, had an assist, and was a major factor in two other goals. Just a great night. And really good to see Matty Beniers come alive with a goal and an assist as well. They will host Detroit tomorrow. And uh, also yesterday, and continuing on today, what a run for Tiger Woods, if you had an opportunity to watch it. Birdied the last three holes to finish two under at the Genesis Invitational. I mean, what a finish. What a finish. Got it out. Birdie, birdie. Birdie, birdie, birdie. Playing with Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas. It's crazy watching him. He outdrove both of them fairly often. I mean, he's so much older than them, and he is still just smacking the ball around. Uh, he looked really good. Uh, so we'll see, though, today how he handles an early tee time after a late one yesterday. I mean, the issue with Tiger isn't, isn't his ability to play golf. It's his ability to continue to walk around a course. And the ups and the downs and the hills, four days in a row. He did it with a late tea time yesterday, early tea time again this morning. Yeah, we'll see what the quick turnaround is like for that ankle. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. Uh, I like the whoever it was who pointed out. 
that yesterday you saw shots of of Tiger and the gallery around him and all the people at 18 were so excited to see him. And then Phil playing uh, with the Live Tour and it's just empty. And, and you wonder for, about some of those guys who, who have made a living off the competition, off that moment, off that feeling, right, of, of all of uh, the fans watching you and in the environment and how it makes your heart, heart race, et cetera. You know, when you're playing for live, there is none of that, right? I mean, part of what makes the PGA Tour so special, and if you've watched any of the, uh, the, the new full swing show on Netflix, is if you don't make the cut, you don't get paid, literally. You, you spend your own money, you get to a tournament, you play two rounds, Thursday and Friday. If you make the cut, you're going to get paid depending on where you finish. And if you miss the cut, you get nothing. See ya. Thanks for coming. You lost money by coming to this tournament. For the guys like Tiger and Rory and Justin and Jordan, etc., doesn't matter. They got plenty of money and their sponsors pay a lot of it. But for the guys who were just trying to hang on at the bottom of the tour trying to keep their tour card, they can legitimately lose money on a, on a weekend like that, which is crazy. Anyway. You can make a lot of money playing other things as a pro, though, right? I've, I've known guys who have golfed a little bit. You like, can. There are other ways I'm to make saying, money. They're not, like, broke. I'm not saying they're destitute. <laughs> but you can you can spend the money to go to a, to a tournament and come away with nothing. Yeah, that's And the difference hard. between finishing near the end, near the top, can be, like, $1.5 versus thirty grand. I mean, there's really, really major differences. So there's always a lot on the line. Is that true when you're playing for live and there's nothing on the line because everything is guaranteed? No, not really. And then when you take away all of the crowd, all of the gallery, all of the energy that comes with it. I don't know, man. I mean, Brooks Kepka, you kind of see it in in the second episode of of uh, of the show. I don't know how that guy Kyle and I were talking about it yesterday. I don't know how that guy is going to handle no competition, no competitiveness, because that's what these guys are built on. So many of them. I mean, you're going to see the shot today, probably the picture, if you haven't already, of what Tiger did with Rory Mac- with uh, with Justin Thomas after he outdrove him yesterday. And it's childish and it's sexist and he probably shouldn't have done it. But it does show you that there's just that competitive level back and forth between those guys on everything. And that's why those some of those guys are still with the tour and why other guys decided to bail and, and go to live. So, all right, coming up next, uh, I mentioned Jerry DePoto. He was great yesterday. He's so excited. You can hear it coming out of his voice, just how excited he is about this rotation and about this pitching staff as everybody arrives in Peoria. Stick around. Jerry's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. <laughs> The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. How are we doing, guys? We're doing great. Uh, you're there. You're in Arizona, right? It, uh, it doesn't feel like it. It feels something much colder than Arizona in the spring. But, yeah, we're here physically. Right. Well, I don't want to talk about that. That's that's just upsetting. We, we've got a couple weeks to go before we get down there. So hopefully uh, it starts warming up. What is it like to see this whole pitching staff together? Not so fun. You know, everybody came in the like as expected. The energy is high. As expected, we have multiple guys in the shape of their lives. And, you know, I think the – the vibe in our clubhouse, you know, around the, the facility at the same time that our, our major league group arrived, our pitchers and catchers, we've got a number of our position players who are already here early. And, you know, our group of minor league, the satellite campers for our more advanced uh, minor league players, 
began uh, yesterday as well. So uh, we, we went through our physicals. We've got a high population and ready to see some baseball. I think I'm going to head to the mall today. I think you just gave me an idea, Jerry, because we're going to be down there, right? We're going to be hosting the show. I think I'm going to get some T-shirts printed out of best shape of my life, guy. <laughs> and, and you, you know, maybe we can hand those out on a daily basis. You could tell me, who was it last week? Who did you say in baseball ops? Taylor? What, no, was it Taylor? Was that his name? Who, who's uh, the Skyler should be on Skyler. Right? Skyler, yes. Heat for it. Yeah, there's, <laughs> a, there's there's a host of others in in baseball operations who fancy themselves in fine shape. So. All right, what uh, what numbers do you look at? I'm, I am curious because I'm, I'm sure they come in. These all the players do with some sort of physical. I know there's times they take, they take the stress test. To, uh, what is the different range of evaluation that you actually do give guys when they come in and report? Yeah, I mean, like in any other sport, the guys are going to go through a series of tests when they arrive. And, you know, ours aren't, I, I wouldn't say, particularly strenuous. The biggest thing we're, you know, concerned with is the orthopedic exams, is is making sure that everybody's uh, moving parts or doing the things that they're supposed to do. And, you know, so far, so good. This is actually sitting yesterday with our doctors over lunch. You know, they were that praiseful of of where they've been with us for a while now and they're looking at this group of players and you know generally on the younger side we are a pretty athletic group and you know coming in it's very different than it was you know six years ten years ago it when maybe the the staff or the 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 roster trended a little bit older and you know it wasn't as easy on on uh intake day so uh, so far so good you know we're looking at where they are strength wise you know we'll, we'll do force place jumps with the with the players we will do you know body comp tests to determine uh you know body fat percentage where we might be able to to help with with nutrition diet you know, in the weight room, et cetera. I would say the usual for, uh, you know, a sports intake physical at the professional level. Hey, in thinking about your rotation and, and the six guys who are in it currently, it strikes me that all of them are completely different from each other in the way they attack hitters. Is that by design? How important is variety in your rotation? Well, I mean, the variety is nice to have, you know, but, you know, that being said, there's, it's, it's nice to have when they're all good at it. <laughs> and, and I think they, you know, they all, they're, they're all very good at what they do. And, and I think that, you know, it's having something different, a different flavor, a different look with each day. And, you know, if you're playing those three or four game series, you know, it's why we've always said it's very hard to win four game series. Uh, it's, now you're going to see two and three game series where you'll get the sweep or the, the, the obviously that somebody's going to win it. But when you get in those four game series, it's hard. And, and largely because once you get that far into your pitching staff uh, and the team gets to, or an opposing team gets to see, you know, something similar, you know, whether it's the bullpen guys or the starters over and over, they make adjustments and, now it's a it's an interesting thing. Uh, I've seen teams in the past, some playoff teams that had very similar looking starting pitching. You know, night after night, same body type, same delivery, same arm swing. You could tell who was scouting those teams and or those those pitchers. And with us, it's a little bit more of a of a variety, and I think that's a good thing. Compare and contrast for me, Jerry, when uh, Mr. DePoto went to, I don't know, let's uh, Cleveland Indians camp back in 94 or Colorado Rockies camp in 97. How much different pitchers and catchers when you reported in 97, how much different is it then to, you know, what we're witnessing this week 
in Peoria with these Mariners? Similar routines, similar intake, similar bullpens, or drastically different? Drastically different is uh, is the easy answer there. And I, I've I've had this conversation with a lot of players from you know from my era and and even players from before it. And and I, I would like to think that this is the logical way to to look at, at what's happening in Major League Baseball today. The best, most physically prepared players that have ever played are probably playing today. <laughs> it's a they they have more at their disposal. The technologies, the you know the frankly the you know the the gift of you know where the game has has gone economically has allowed them to to spend their off seasons twenty four seven training for the hundred sixty two game baseball season. And and as a result, you know you get players that come in. And they they look phenomenal. They look like they spent their off season getting ready to be here today. And and that's the way it, it, it seems when they walk through the door. And you know we've got guys already throwing near 100 miles an hour in bullpens. We've we've got you know we've got pretty impressive you know in the gym numbers that have shown up in in a couple of days. And, and now that we get to to watch live baseball out on the field starting today, it, it should be fun to see how it translates there. Uh, Jerry, I don't know. Do you know Chris Lagan from Driveline? I don't. I know his name, okay. and I'm very familiar with what they do. Okay, so Chris was on the station earlier this week. He was on with Wyman and Bob in the afternoon, and they were asking him about, about Matt Brash. He said something that I wanted to play for you quickly and just get your reaction to it. This is his answer on Matt Brash's slider. The known things, obviously, are, I mean, I, I think you could pretty realistically say his slider is maybe the best pitch in terms of like pitch movement and velocity uh, in like major league history. Like in major league history, is it possible that we're watching Matt Brash throw the greatest pitch in major league history? You know, history is a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, my, my first reaction is it's, it's pretty damn good. And I jokingly, we, we said this spring, we are going to lean into the, the Matt Brash has the greatest pitch in major league history team, uh, because we did get that from, uh, from yesterday. And when you're watching it live, your reaction is how can it be any nastier than it is? And, you know, and I, I say that, and there've been a lot of nasty pitches in major league history, you know, some by Mariners, you know, Felix's changeup or Randy Johnson's slider. There's, but Matt Brass's stuff, I won't even really limit it just to a slider. It, his stuff is is on that tier. It's just nasty, nasty stuff. And uh, I, if I were him, I would definitely go with Brock to the mall and make a T-shirt that says, mm. you know, that he he is the owner of the nastiest pitch in Major League history. But uh, you know, I, it's uh, it's it's pretty nasty. I will say that. And you know what's interesting? You bring up the big unit. If you, when you saw Randy Johnson in person, you're like, yeah, that guy is just different. I mean, he's like six ten, right? I mean, he's just a a different kind of human being. You see Matt Brash at the in and out line, you're not going to be like, oh yeah, that guy, that guy, and that arm is host to the greatest, most dominant, devastating pitch in Major League Baseball history. How does he do it? You know, I, I would say the same. You know, back in the day, if you would have, you know, you walked through the door with Pedro Martinez, you'd never know what was going to come out of that pose. <laughs> it was, you know, he's uh, five ten and weighed about one hundred and sixty five pounds. But the, you know, it's, he is gifted and he's got such a fast arm. And I, as we discussed many times since we acquired him back in the, the summer of twenty twenty. In our wildest dreams, we we couldn't have imagined how well it would have turned out for Matt stuff-wise. And it's a tribute to his aptitude, 
you know, obviously he's got physical skills that, that are required, but what he's done with our pitching people here and, and how quickly he bought in to the programs that we run, I, I think go a long, long way. And, uh, but again, I, I would have been lying to them. And, and even now, if I said, oh, yeah, we had this the whole time, he was going to have a nasty slider in history and, and throw 100 miles an hour. But he does those things. And, uh, and it's good for the Mariners that we have him here. Hey, Jerry, how did you get Perry Hill here? We were t- and the reason I asked, we were talking to to Colton Wong yesterday, and I have actually a few questions about that because he was awesome. But you know, he went on and on about how he'd always admired Perry Hill from afar and knew that he was one of those couple of coaches in baseball, along with I think he said Jose Akindo and Ron Washington, who were just sort of legendary infield coaches. And we've seen what he's done with Crawford, we've seen what he did with Suarez last year. But how'd you guys get him? You know, there was a, there was something in a regime change. It was one phone call. Uh, I can remember I was here in Phoenix. We were here for uh, for a leadership meeting that we had a couple of years back, and and I was walking on the the lawn out in front of the hotel talking to Perry, and it, it took one conversation. He was informed by the Marlins that that they weren't going to bring him back, and you know it still wasn't public information, but we had a little bit of recon on it and made a very quick phone call and. And uh, and that's all it took, really. He was he was in lock, stock, and barrel, and it's been one of the smartest things we've done. He's he is truly a difference maker when he's out there on that field working with the the infielders. It's a, his persona changes when he's out on that field. It's a, it's pretty phenomenal to watch, and they all respond to him. It's a it's really a sight in spring training if you haven't seen it. It seems like a secret yeah. weapon almost. Yeah. Uh, which, which oddly enough, was Jose Okendo's nickname. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think that I was talking with Colton about it when he got here, and you know how quickly he, you know, respect. He reached out to Perry, and and uh, you know, truly, as soon as he found out he was coming to the Mariners, and and uh, you know, it's he. I, I think Perry has a way of connecting with a player very much like you know you would have felt in high school or college when you had you know that 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 coach that sometimes it was tough love sometimes it was it was raised voice all the time it was consistency and then as soon as the infield drill is over he's the most anonymous coach on our field (laughs) but once that infield starts up again here it goes and and he's as impactful as any coach i think there is in the big leagues before I do word association round two today, uh, Salk, you did tease and say you were going to ask Jerry something you've never asked him before. What was the Perry Hill thing? I've never asked him about oh, Perry you Hill, never so did? I've already okay. done that now. Oh, well, wait, I also wanted to ask you about Colton Wong, though, because we talked to him yesterday. He kind of blew us away. I mean, he, he was just his maturity, and I, I knew that he had been picked off in, in the World Series. I didn't know what it had meant to his career and that he had struggled for a while after that. You know, talk to me just a little bit about Colton Wong, the person that you acquired? You know, Colton and if that postseason is, uh, is it's pretty interesting because what, what the Cardinals would have done at those times, you know, and, they, and they're a postseason team year after year. And oftentimes you're going to see them promote young players quickly through the system, you know, and they might jump them two levels at postseason time because they have a special skill and, and Colton could really run. He could run and he could steal a base and he had instinct. And then the first opportunity he got to show those things off, he got picked off. And, uh, you know, on the biggest stage you can play on in, in 
major league baseball. And, and, uh, you know, I didn't know it was, it had as much of an effect on him as he did until very recently. And, and I say that, and I really do think that from a player development standpoint, it's, it's hard to define how much a little setback can make a player feel because as we've talked before, it's such a confidence game. You know, it really is. It's, it's, it, you have to be confident enough when you walk into a major league clubhouse to know that you are better than Julio Rodriguez and Aaron Judge and, and, and whoever's going to be standing in the, the batter's box on any given day. And, and, uh, and that's, and that's no matter what position you play on a team. You could be, you know, the, the 13th pitcher on a 13 man staff, or you could be the super utility player that, that plays three times a week you have to feel like you are Elvis in that room. And, and, and I imagine that getting picked off in that moment as a young player with no other track record at the major league level with expectations of what you're going to achieve is pretty hard to overcome. And, uh, you know, fortunately for, for us and for baseball, he did. Colton's been a good player on good teams for a long time now. And I, I don't want to say the world's sleeping on Colton Wong, I, all you got to do is flip over the baseball card or go look on baseball reference or fan graphs. Colton Wong has achieved a good deal in baseball. And, and, uh, and he came into our camp. He's not big of stature, but he's big in presence is my first uh, takeaway from, from Colton. Uh, so yesterday, some odds came out, uh, got sent to me. I shot him over to my guy, Salk, and it just spurred his mind to, A, sharpen the pencil, put some batteries in his calculator, do his own little projections. And, and so he's got his numbers. And then he went on further to write a really good piece uh, on this pitching rotation and on this staff. So we had Robbie Ray on an hour ago, and he was phenomenal, uh, super, super fun. And I went through a little word association, Jerry, with Robbie. I just said, hey, man. You know, you're you're the the sage guy in the staff. They look to you. Just give me the first thought, the first word, the first thing that comes into your mind. And we went through the different guys in the rotation. And I'm curious if we did the same with you. Maybe you know, maybe afterwards we'll compare and contrast uh, your thoughts and Robbie's. Um, so here's a little word association: first name, first thought that comes to mind with George Kirby. Wow, uh, prepared. First thought for Logan Gilbert. Filthy. Filthy. That was very different, by the way, from Robbie Ray's. He went with Goober. So obviously you guys are you're looking at Logan Gilbert from very different <laughs> angles. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, Marco. Competitive. Flexen. Sneaky. Luis presence and Robbie pro yeah yeah you just got that sense you know he said something today that was pretty astute uh, along with goober and let's see he went vector for uh, for Kirby uh, he went goober <laughs> he, he went the <laughs> he went hobbyist for flexing which I thought was pretty good best ping-pong guy on the team uh, Marco what do you say uh, not sexy uh, and then for and, and then for Castillo, he went the the nickname the Rock the Stone. Uh, but he did say, as far as himself and as far as pitching goes, Jerry, and what I thought was astute was, hey, listen, I'm not the same guy. I'm not the same pitcher. That when you put mileage, every year is a new year for every arm on this in this rotation and on this staff, and and you're a different guy from from year to year. I thought that was pretty astute. So if we're going to see a little different Robbie Ray, what could that look like in 2023? 
You know, I know he's been working on a new pitch. You know, he came to camp. He's working on a split, as is Logan Gilbert. And, you know, both of them, uh, I will say, Logan's on film, Robbie's live. Both of them look like they put in the work on it. They're they're good-looking pitches. And, you know, while still in, in the development stage, and that is kind of what Robbie's hitting on, is that you're constantly recreating yourself. You're constantly making adjustments. You're adapting to the league. You're adapting to, to how your body ages. And, you know, yesterday we had MLB Media Day over in Scottsdale, and, and, and I was asked the question about Robbie specifically, you know, coming back. How would he respond to the, that moment and, and the way his season ended last year? And You know, my, my takeaway is that Robbie Ray has been through more in his major league baseball career than most players are ever going to go through. And it's a first to get to the point where you are a status veteran in this league is very hard to do, you know, and to do it while having achieved the high highs of winning a Cy Young and pitching in postseasons and then the low lows, you know, Robbie's had some, some years that weren't as, as glorious and some moments like we saw at the very end of last year. And that's part of it. You know, that's part of how you get to the point Robbie's at in a clubhouse where 25 other guys, because it's not just our pitchers, you know, the, the, the players all he's, he is that guy in a clubhouse that they can go to and they know whatever they're going through, he's been through. And, and that's such a thing in a clubhouse that, that is so valuable to, to, to have. And, and now we've got a handful of guys that have been down that road. And, and that's the thing I really appreciate about Robbie and what it looks like next for him. I think he's always going to pitch like a power pitcher. You're not going to see, you know, Robbie Ray morph into, you know, the, the touch field guy at this stage in his career. He's got power pitches. He needs to pitch like a power pitcher. And when we saw him at his best a year ago, that's what he was doing. And am I just looking at the way he walked through that door, the shape he's in and, and the focus he had this offseason, he took it seriously. And, and he went home. He got in great shape. And, you know, he came back. And his stuff is it, it's alive. And, and I think you're going to see Robbie Ray power pitcher, which is primarily what you saw last year. And everybody mm-hmm. takes away one moment. <laughs> but he was pretty damn good the rest of it. Hey, uh Shifting gears just for a moment, I, I was uh, reading a little bit about, we talked obviously a ton about the new rules and the shift and this and that, and, and I saw some speculation that teams will try to modify this a little bit, that there will be teams with a with a you know big pole uh, left-handed hitter up who will take their left fielder if they've got somebody who is as athletic as somebody like, you know, a Haggerty or some of the guys you have, and move them into almost that shallow right center second base spot, similar to where the uh, uh, where the second baseman used to be in the shift. Is that something you expect to see much of? You know, I, I've seen the, the layouts. I've seen people diagram what it might look like. I've heard, you know, rumors or I've, I've called them, you know, like the urban myths. I, I don't, Major League Baseball will govern this rule change as something in the spirit of the rule. I don't think they, they want to see, you know, somebody trying to find the loophole and, you know, whether that's you know, what's being described or not, it's tough to say. We've talked about different ways that, that we can effectively position our defense, you know, to, to combat the, the opposing hitters. But, you know, the diagrams that I've seen, and it, this is just maybe me being old school and I'm going to have to see uh, what it looks like, but I, I, and I've never thought of myself in that, through that lens, but perhaps this reaction is <laughs> indicative that it's, it's, it's true. 
I look at that, and if you're moving your left fielder in that big a swing and you're putting that kind of stress on your third baseman and your center fielder to cover that ground, I, I just – it's – I don't have the words to describe what you would feel like as the pitcher on that day or the manager in the dugout if somebody flips a blooper down a left field line that's a triple. <laughs> and it, it should have been a, an F7. So I, it's when we adapted to shifting in Major League Baseball, it was because that's where the outs were. You know, you could, you could shift your players into position to convert – the, the batted ball into and out at a very high percentage where uh, I guess at a location that the hitter would most frequently hit that ball. And, you know, the, the moving an outfielder is an entirely different setup and, and requires an entirely different, you know, I guess degree of trust and in, in the fact that that will happen because it's one thing when you're giving up a single, yeah. <laughs> it's an entirely different thing when you're giving up a, a, a multi-base hit because multi-base hits in our league, oftentimes turn into runs. Yeah, good. I hope you're right about that because I was, I was really hoping we aren't going to see stuff like that. I want to see it straight. I want to see, uh, I want to see balls going through ground balls that are hits, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. We're looking forward to seeing you down there. Uh, not next week, but the week after, we'll be down there, and uh, we're excited, man. This is so great seeing pitchers and catchers, full squads just around the corner. Jerry, we appreciate it. Thank you. You got it, guys. Talk to you next. Yeah, good conversation there with Jerry DePoto, and I just look forward to those, of course, every Thursday at 8.30, and then generally a little replay uh, the next morning at 6.30 uh, to make sure that you get an opportunity to hear from Jerry. It's pretty cool having both decision makers. I know Jerry's technically the president, but 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 both Jerry and John Schneider on the same day every week here leading up to the draft. Pretty darn cool every Thursday. And uh, we'll play you some Schneider sound a little bit later in the show here as well because he went deep in a couple of spots that I think are uh, are worth exploring a little bit. So, all right, coming up next, G. Scott, who will be here at 8.30 this morning, of course, to give the people what they want. He asked us a question yesterday, and he's not the first person to ask me, so I thought I would try to answer it for all of you next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.